Welcome to FemLead, the podcast on female leadership and role models. Prepare to feel inspired and better equipped to navigate your career path. I am Alexandra Chabotaru, your host, and together with my guests, we will tackle a new field of work in each episode. The aim of this podcast is to deep dive into career perspectives and strategies to navigate your desired path for success. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Farm Lead. Today, we discuss diversity and inclusion in leadership. My next guest is a founder, international public speaker, and advocate for gender-balanced business leadership. She was named one of the top 125 diversity and inclusion experts to follow on LinkedIn, and she has spoken at prestigious conferences and institutions, including Forbes, University of Cambridge, London School of Economics, France's National Assembly, and Tech Park Davos, to name a few. An executive strategist, she works with high-achieving women CEOs and founders, and she is a coach and mentor for several global organizations. She is also the founder of several communities of women, including 100 Women at Davos and the African Women CEOs Network. As the managing director of the strategy and financial advisory firm Avandis Consulting in France, she contributes to UN SDG 5, Target 5.5, on ensuring the equal participation of women in leadership. Please welcome today's guest, Dr. Anino Emua. Welcome, Anino. It's really a great pleasure to have you join us. Hi, Alexandra, and thank you so much for inviting me on um, Feb, uh, Family Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. And hello to those of our guests who are listening today. Thank you so much. So I have been following your activity, especially on LinkedIn, and I was really impressed by all the amazing activities and, uh, you know, uh, uh, milestones you shared that were very much linked with women in leadership. And then I've, I've started looking into your career path, and I've noticed that you have always been a promoter of women in leadership, and you are helping them navigate that setup. You focused on diversity and inclusion in leadership. And this is new. We haven't spoken about this uh, setup um, so publicly uh, unless we count the last few years. So my question for you would be if you wouldn't mind sharing with everybody to start with, what does diversity and inclusion mean? What is the mission behind your work at Avandis Consulting? Okay, thank you. I'm delighted to answer those questions. First of all, what does diversity and inclusion mean? And um, I'll give a sh very short and brief explanation, right, that helps people to understand, you know, immediately. First of all, diversity is having representation, right, at all levels, which re represents the population that that organization comes from, okay? And then inclusion means to have those voices that are part of the diverse leadership or diverse organization or work workforce contribute equally in the workplace. So say for example, you know, you have, um, you're looking at, um, if it's gender, of course, gender is um, on average 50-50, right? In terms of women and men, for example, okay? But even if you have that uh, diversity in the workforce, right? You want to make sure that it comes through, right through to leadership. But then what happens when you have a diverse leadership? Do all, does everybody, Um, get included in decision-making, in having their ideas part of it. So that's the inclusion part. So diversity is about the numbers and inclusion is about the behavior after you have the numbers. And as for Advantage Consulting, 
We are a strategy and advisory firm, and we work with business leaders, we work with entrepreneurs, but also we, we um, convene communities of women in business leadership. So these are founders as well as CEOs globally and also regionally. That sounds really, really interesting. And um, I think that, you know, you mentioned something very important that it's um, not only an, a numbers uh, game, but it's also about including everyone that you represent. And of course, we're talking about organizations that have, uh, you know, an audience that is very diverse or the organization itself, it's uh, it's quite diverse. I want to ask, what do you think... Um, how do you think this field of DNY, as we call it, diversity and inclusion, is evolving? Because there are um, different impressions that um, you shouldn't push this forward that much in the same time as, uh, you know, you should be pushing it forward. What is your stance on um, the, the way the field is seen on the outside, because you know very well how women CEO and uh, founders uh, see this import, see the importance of this of this work. But how do you see the field evolving? And if I can also ask you, as a new topic on boards agendas, you must also have some experience in understanding strategy and stakeholder management to propose this new approach to diversity and inclusion. So, how do you do that? Okay. The first thing is, um, I think we'll start from you know the the, the 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 bigger the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is this because of course a lot of my work is also on the academic front. I'm, I'm actually um, doing research on women in leadership right now at the University of Cambridge. So um, looking at the studies, right, not just studies in terms of within academia, but also the business studies, it has been shown over and over again that having diverse workforce and leadership promotes increased performance of businesses. It promotes increased um, uh, well-being for the economy and for society. And so when you have that picture, it's, it's you know, world leaders realize that this is a matter of urgent importance. But then how do you tie it down when you start looking at organizations? And like everything else is when you have this understanding, right, you find that it sort of trickles down in a sense. And what we're finding is that at certain levels, there's a lot of awareness and there's a lot of, shall we say, actions to make things change. For example, we've seen um, somebody like Goldman Sachs, which is probably the most influential of the um, investment banks that came out last year and said that they would no longer take to the market or IPO you know, um, a firm if they didn't have at least one woman or one person from a diverse community on the board, for example, right? So these are things that they are doing. We've already, we already saw with the New York Stock, Stock Exchange that there was moves as well to make sure that you have at least you know, a woman as well on, on the boards. In the UK, for example, we have, um, right now it's been tracked for a long time. And I think that um, if I'm not wrong, the last figure showed that um, really all of the top firms did have at least you know, uh, one woman on board. And even more so, they are looking at a target of 30%, which has been met, I believe, right? Now, we're talking you know, here just about gender, not about anything else. So with the biggest firms, with um, biggest organizations that are concerned about their performance, they do understand that it's important. You can't solve the world's biggest problems if half your talent is not sitting at the table. So there's an awareness. But then when it sort of trickles down and comes down, it's a bit more difficult and also when you have vested interests in the sense that certain people are used to doing certain things. So whenever you have change in whatever form or fashion, there's sometimes there is some resistance and sometimes it becomes difficult to change, change behavior. 
So I would say in terms of world leaders, in terms of big organizations, there's absolutely the awareness and the, you know, they are sure and they know that it is right. By and large, that's the main thing, right? But it is true that in practice, there's still a long way to go in many of the many firms and organizations. I want to ask, um, link to that, a important point of view that we've seen uh, populated, you know, across the internet, for example. We, we, we have heard of, like you said, Goldman Sachs asking uh, teams that and companies that IPO, for example, to have either a diverse person, somebody that has a diverse background, or a, um, a woman in their, their leadership team. What do you think about the thoughts that sometimes you push this sort of diversity chair or diversity seat at the table and you take from somebody that is maybe more qualified for that position because it doesn't represent that diversity chair because there are uh, discussions about the fact that you should be you, sh- you should be at there at the seat because you deserve it. So how do we make sure that this doesn't get misinterpreted and that we really take people uh, at the table to represent everybody that are very competent and that should deserve to be there? Right. And, and this is, you know, this is a good question. And this is a problem. We have to step back and say, why is it in the first place that you don't have enough women on the table? And it's because women who are competent are not being given a chance. So by having that diversity, it means you are bringing competent people. So a non-diverse board or non-diverse leadership team actually points to the fact that you're not having the most competent people because competence is universal, right? Talent is universal. It is not gender specific. So if you're not having a diverse representation, it means you're selecting within a certain group. So on the contrary, by actually making sure that you have women, right, and other representatives in terms of a diverse team, that you're actually bringing in the most competent people. So what happens is when you look at your, um, shall we say, your recruitment and how your recruitment is done, what we find out is that within the, the methods of recruitment, right, you find that there are flaws that actually target only to a particular gender or race or whatever it is. So actually, to the contrary, what you're doing by, by bringing in women and being intentional, what you're actually saying is that we are going to recruit the best. And actually, to the contrary, what we do find is the exact opposite, that what actually happens is when you have a diverse um, leadership team, that you actually find that the women who are there are actually better qualified very often than many of the men. So it's actually the opposite. I'm really happy you answered this question because it was one of those topics that, you know, we discuss so much. And I have a podcast that focuses on bringing and shedding light on or light on female leaders. And, you know, sometimes there is this conversation of, but why don't you invite everybody? And my point is not that we don't have qualified speakers and leaders around the world, but I chose to focus on shedding light on women that I find inspiring. And I think that, you know, linking with this question about how do we make sure that people are you know uh, at the at the seat at the table because they deserve that seat it is about all of the different um strategies that we do to bring them in that spot because if you don't have the same opportunities or if you are not given throughout your career this you know opening to move on or to um go into different uh, new Um, uh, positions, then of course it will be harder to see more representation of a certain 
group in in those boardrooms. And I'm very happy you tackled this, to be fair, because it's really important to also set this straight and how how does it actually work when we talk about uh, bringing everybody at the table. Who should be responsible for moving the needle in the direction of change? When we talk about diversity and inclusion, who is it that needs to push forward this, this agenda and this topic? Okay. Now, first of all, diversity and inclusion benefits everybody. It benefits society, e economies, and their and organizations. And in actual fact, one of the studies, um, I can't remember which actually showed um, that when you looked at countries with more diverse leadership, that you actually found that it was better, not just for society, but even for men. So it is in everybody's interest, right, to make sure that there's diversity. And in fact, even in particular in men's interest, you have less suicides in countries that are led, that have a more diverse leadership team in terms of a government, for example. That is one indicator. So actually, it's better for the whole of society. Now, whose who's responsibility? When you think about it, and we're talking about half the population of the world, which is, say, 3.5 billion or whatever the numbers are, it is such a huge thing that is everybody's responsibility. And by saying everybody's responsibility, we talk about some of the key, um, the, the key, shall I say, people or groups that you know um, it concerns. One, it, it concerns certainly when you look at um, leadership in terms of government, right? So it concerns the government, right? It concerns civil service, um, um, civil civil um, CSOs, right? That um, civic organisations that really look at the well-being of people. So these are not not for profits. It includes, it includes them. People like the UN, for example, it does include. It includes um, organizations and leadership of organizations, right? Um, it's, of course, the interested party or people who are underrepresented women have often driven this, right? But change will only really happen when it becomes a mainstream and that is already happening. So we actually, it's the people who have the power are the ones who are going to make the change. It is not the people who don't have the power, okay? So it's something that, that uh, concerns absolutely everybody. And within organizations, the chief diversity, diversity officer really is actually the, the CEO or the leader of the organization, really. I love that you said that because um, my next question is about this topic as a buzzword. As you've said, this is now a mainstream topic, yet we hear that as other topics that have been in and out, uh, maybe more publicly, it will die out and people will not care about it. And I really want to understand what is your stance on it, because, of course, you are one of the role models in sharing with the world what diversity and inclusion means and then preparing female leaders for the setup that they are, are going to, to move towards. What do you think about the setup where people think this uh, uh, this topic will die out and it's it's a buzzword. Well, you know, it's not a buzzword. At least what's behind it is not a buzzword. Whether or not, you know, the words actually change, but um, the meaning behind them will not change. And that is including everybody and having a more inclusive society. A lot of the social movements that we have seen, negative social movements we've seen, are relating to the lack of inclusion and lack of diversity, whether it is um, you know, women or whether it is to do with um, racial inclusion or whatever it is. So not only is it here to say, stay, it's here to accelerate. And this, I believe that we are in um, standing at the cusp of a, of a moment in time 
where in history, in a hundred years you know, time, we will turn back and see what happened at this time, right? And people would look back and say, I wonder what happened and look at the records. So actually, I think that we are at the beginning of a huge change, right? At a tipping point. And we'll see that um, in history because it's something that concerns absolutely everybody and for the good of this world and for the good of the planet. And that's why the top leaders are some of the, the, the main drivers of this because they see how it's beneficial you know, to them, to their organizations. And um, they're the ones who are also now included in driving this. So it's no longer a movement coming from a woman's movement. It's actually um, something that needs to be done if the problems of the world that we see today need to be addressed. And we've seen that through COVID and the responses of the female leaders. It wasn't just an article, it was actually a research which showed the reason why countries that had female heads of state did better than their peers in terms of uh, leading the um, early stages of the um, anti-COVID, um, uh, shall we say, anti-COVID drive, you know, and, um, and uh, the responses were so, were markedly more, positive, right, with uh, countries where women led. So there is absolutely um, benefit in this. And, you know, the top leaders do know about it. And the question is, you know, how do you make sure that it becomes uh, mainstream now? Mm -hmm. Very, very well said. I I do want to ask um, in relation to this, your about your um, um, role at 100 Women at Davos, because yes. I hear you discussing it, at least online, I've noticed a, a couple of posts about it. And I would be very curious to understand, you know, one of your, uh, one of your many initiatives, what does it mean? And how do you bring together uh, women in this initiative? Okay, um, I think what it started from is a history which was not necessarily um, 100 women at Davos, but it was simply this, it was, um, um, why is it that, you know, whenever we have any sort of gathering of leaders in business or in politics or in government or whatever it is, the talk is always and the reporting is always about how few women, you know, there are. And when you talk about how few women there are, then the focus is always on that problem, right? And the focus is not on the women who are there and what they're doing. And so it takes the focus actually about the women who are there. And so the 100 women at Davos started off um, for me really because having attended the World Economic Forum and not seeing very women, a lot of women there, and um, certainly not a lot of um, African or black women as well. So, you know, you sort of take a step back and you, so you sort of feel different, but you think, you know, I'm, I mean, no, I'm not different. I, you know, I'm just me and I do have a lot to add value too. And so um, taking it away from me and looking at the other women who might have felt the same. And I thought that our value would be magnified if we were together, one, by giving resources to women to show them how to navigate and get the, the, the best value from, you know, um, being there. But also in the sense that, you know, giving us, you know, a voice and a face bigger than our individual contributions, which could be lost, right, in, in, in that sea of uh, being, uh, being the minority there. So it was really saying that, you know, as women, we have a lot more to show if we can, uh, uh, the visibility of what we're doing and the importance and the impact, and especially especially because very often you see that women are very much focused on impact as well. So that was the reasoning behind the 100 Women at Davos, a community um, of impact-driven uh, women who were um, at, uh, at Davos. Wow, I, I really love the, uh, you know, the explanation and, and, and bringing more awareness to the initiative because um, you made a very important point you talk more about how women are not represented enough than focus on those that are there and actually have a lot uh, 
to impact in the sphere. And I, I absolutely love that you've mentioned this because I think it would make some of our listeners think about also their narrative and, you know, shedding light into those role models that are really making an impact rather than saying that it was not enough what, what has happened. That's right. Yes, thanks so much for, for clarifying that and for giving us more input. I do want to ask you, how does your day-to-day look like? So what sort of conversations do you engage with, uh, in, you engage in, and how do you support leaders in the mission to create an inclusive environment? Okay, um, the thing is, well, on a day-to-day thing, first of all, my days are very varied, right? But I find that, you know, I, I am doing a lot of speaking engagements, which um, when I started doing them, and I thought, you know, um, I thought myself, you know, the amount of time that goes, you know, goes into it. But what you find is the feedback and the impact, right? So it's not about you, it's about people who are responding to what you're saying, both women and and, and men. So the conversations are really very important, right? So um, that's the first thing. And um, I think that in working with, with women as well, you find that that whatever it is you're doing, that automatically attracts them because they listen to your message, right? And they come to you and say, I heard you now, I heard you on Clubhouse, I heard you in a podcast, I heard you in a conference, and they're attracted to you. And then you have more than just yourself, you know, you have a community that they can be participating and be part of in so many different ways, right? And then you bring, and more importantly, bringing the voices of other women you know, um, as well, to speak on this and to participate. And um, what we then see, we understand the needs of women, and this is why I'm doing my research. So there are many ways in which we can support women, right, and help them um, from increasing their visibility in the right channels, in networking. And for example, we have, um, right now, we have um, a recognized uh, identity by some of the top world firms. And it's really interesting because these are the things that go on behind the scenes that you, you you can't, you know, that people don't see. So for example, I'll get a message, I'll get an email, I'll get a phone call and say, look, we're interested in a woman, say on a board, or we want to promote a woman in this field or in that field, right? And they'll come to us because they know we have a community of women who are making impact, right? And then we can promote our women. We even have, you know, um, sometimes people um, saying that, you know, we want a reference from your organization for this woman, right? And we can write and, you know, reference. So there's so many ways we do that. And of course, we have lots of programs. Now um, with COVID, we stopped, obviously, we couldn't do the physical programs, you know. So for example, we did um, a business trip with um, uh, CEOs to CEOs to Paris, for example, which was the year before COVID. Um, we um, had a group of women at UNGA, we have Davos. So we also bring women to where decisions are being made or, you know, business trips, we gather ourselves and work with, um, with other organizations. So there's so many things that, you know, we do to help women, right, and introduce them to opportunities, really, and, um, you know, skill buildings and, um, you know, opportunities to network and also to interact with their peers as well. Because it's lonely at the top for women, and very often you're there on your own. So meet other women like you, and how did they um, deal with this problem? And also, you know, it's, it's, um, it can be very enriching and powerful for women. Definitely, the the network and the visibility and everything that happens when when you get at the top, like you said, it sometimes can be lonely if you don't really identify with with the rest of the team. And um, it would be interesting to even follow uh, more of your updates because I think many of the listeners would want to know, you know, what are some of the leaders that will continue to to impact the world that have been part of um, of your groups of, of networks and uh, from the one hundred women at. So I'm very excited to, to follow that, uh, that journey as well. I do want to ask next, how do you measure the impact of your endeavors? How can we measure diversity and inclusion? 
um, measurement is always something mentioned in, in conversations. Okay, you do all of these initiatives, but how do you measure success? What do you think about it? Measurement is absolutely important. Okay, um, I come from an, an economics background, and I think it's critical to, to measure success, right? Or measure, you know, uh, progress, shall we say? This is why, you know, for example, the kinds of studies done by, by people like McKinnon, which is a woman in the workplace, you know, I think it's almost, if it's not annually, every other year or so, are critical and they show the trajectory of diversity and inclusion, right? Um, we also have, for example, the World Economic Forum that, that does a report, a global report as well, and that's important. And if, um, for example, when it comes to um, myself and Avondis, last year we we did an, we we worked with the twenty first. They do what they call um, the um, a balanced scorecard, and so they look at top organizations and look at leadership and see you know what the leadership looks like in terms of uh, diversity and not just in terms of you know uh, women and men, but even women in roles. What roles? What senior leadership roles are they in? And we worked on that um, in, in collaboration. It was quite interesting because it was one we actually did for Africa. And we actually found that um, at the top firms, that diversity in leadership actually was better than some of the top firms in developed countries in Europe and in America. And, you know, these kind of, the, this kind of, of, of uh, data measurement is important because what it does is that we then send it to the firms. And when they see it, it gives them something to actually, if they're not doing it as well, it gives them something to see and say, look at what our peers are doing. So it, it actually motivates. So measurement is good over time, right, over time to see what is happening. And, you know, also cross-sectional data as well to see what is happening within industries, within countries, across regional regions and, and groups. You need to have data within organizations. You can't have a diversity and inclusion program if you don't have the data to measure at least diversity. It's absolutely important. I do want to ask next because I'm I'm very much into the subject now of giving advice right. to go a bit more actionable into let's say women that might not meet you or might not be part of your sure. of your network, but they are now listening to the, this episode and they're wondering, okay, I'm in a position where I could potentially become a leader in this organization, but I don't know how to tackle it. Maybe I don't have the right sponsorship. What are some strategies or what should women consider if they're having these situations in their life and maybe they don't know where to reach out to like how should you tackle such a such a topic in in real life okay well there are two things that i'll say and one is within the organization and the other one is um, external to well sorry sorry one within your role in the organization and one external to the organization so if you're a woman you know and you want to rise within the organization um i'm sure many of us have heard about this you need two things. You need a mentor and you need a sponsor. Now, a sponsor is one is a person because we tend to understand mentors, but a sponsor is somebody who, behind the closed doors, where decisions are being made, is going to support you. So, for example, when there's a promotion, right, is somebody who knows your job and says, "Look, this is this lady Alexandra. She's done A, B, C, and D, and we believe that she's ready for that next job or position." Right. So, it's the person who makes who is a part of that decision deciding factor. But that person needs to know your work. Because one thing that we do as women is that we're, sometimes we're very, very good at our work, but we're not so good at get, letting it get known. And it has to get known for people to sort of really understand, right, who are two or three levels above you, what it is you're doing. It's not always so transparent. So that's the role of a, um, of a sponsor. The mentor, of course, is somebody who um, can give you guidance, right, in your career, who has done it before. And of, sometimes, of course, there are coaches as well, you know, at senior levels 
or helps you with certain, you know, certain difficulties or issues um, as you progress. Um, so that's, you know, um, so that's one sphere. The other thing that um, I think is very important, and it can be within the organization, depending on how big it is or not, but, you know, you really, I am totally, um, I totally believe in the power of a network, your professional networks of women, right? That you need to have a network of a women in, in your profession. It doesn't have to be a profession, it can be across professions, but other women who can, who have, I mean, they have been there, you know, you can share your difficulties. It helps you, right? And so you don't feel that, you know, you're really alone. And so I think that is really critical and important to have that uh, um, network and community of, of, of other women to belong to and become um, part of. And um, in a different way, you network, Net network is important. We, we find it sometimes difficult to network, but this digital um, age that we're in, you know, with, uh, with COVID, it does give us, give, it gives us opportunities to be able to network from our desks. So I'd advise, you know, networking in that sense means building relationships that are outside your normal relationships, right? Through, you know, events, through meetings and all of that. Because you need to sort of spread, people need to know of you, you need to understand what's happening out there. And you know that best through um, uh, meeting new, new, uh, new people, not just people who you know all the time. So those are the three things I think that you know, I would advise for, for, for women, really. Mm, that's really great. Thank you so much for for giving us more specific details of what you would would advise women to do. Because, as you said, you know maybe sometimes sponsorship and mentorship are seen as similar, but it's actually a quite different setup. And depending on the organization that you represent or the setup that you're in, it's really um, a setup where you need to look deep into okay. Who is it that can really sponsor my my setup here that I'm trying to create? So it's really important that that you've mentioned that. It's also very interesting that that you say um, you know network and creating a, a support group basically. For those of us that um, are interested in promoting diversity and inclusion as a topic. So not necessarily um, you will become a leader yourself in a large organization, but you want to support others or you are interested in different uh, strategies uh, within organizations, for example, um, if you are interested in different strategies within organizations, how do you enter the DNY space, diversity and inclusion? And um, if you're passionate about the subject, how can you get started in impacting the world by following this, this mission, such a mission? Oh, okay. Um, excellent question. The first one is, first of all, you know, educate yourself a little bit, you know, try and find out some of the readings and resources that are out there. That's useful to also understand the space a little bit. Okay. So that's on that side. Then in terms of, you know, within your organization or within your industry and all of that, you know, once you ask a few questions, you find that, you know, within your organization, you start to hear about your people who are involved in that. So it could be within, you know, a little community um, that is um, looking at, um, Gender issues on your organization, put up your hands. You know, very often within organizations, you know, they will send out messages, right? So put up your hands and indicate your interest in being involved in that. If you are within um, a sort of technical field as well, there are lots and lots of communities, you know, in different um, um, areas uh, with all of that, with all the resources we have on, on, on the um, internet. Have a look in LinkedIn and see some of the you know, important groups. Just follow them, right? And see what it is you know, they're doing. And you find that that way, just putting up your hand being present and intentional about it within your organization or within communities and groups, you find that automatically you get um, start getting involved. But as I say, it's, in, in, um, it's, it's important also to, to read a little bit you know, about it um, as well, to understand you know, what are the key things, um, some of the technical terms and you know, understand a little bit. And that will sort of help you and guide you to what part of the DNI 
you know, involved, um, um, interests you and would you like to be involved in? And, you know, everybody can be a leader. That's another thing we shouldn't forget. There's always somebody coming behind you. So um, at whatever level you are, there's always somebody who's coming behind you, even if you're in universities, you know, um, the students coming behind you or your peer groups as well. So um, you can always be um, volunteer is um, what I'm saying as well. I do want to talk about your career as well, because as I said at the beginning, I'm really impressed by your career path. And, you know, you've uh, you've uh, relocated from Nigeria to now France, if I'm not mistaken, you are doing a, a research with the University of Cambridge. And I would be very interested uh, to know, um, you know, as you are now a, a successful leader in the DNI, DNY space, um, you build a successful consulting company, you really impact the world through your work. From your experience, what are some of the lessons you learned along the way about career development? How can one follow in your footsteps or what are some of those um, really lessons that stand out for you when you look back at your at your career and how it uh, it uh, evolved? Well, one thing I, I think, and it is a word that is used often now, but you know, it's absolutely what at least I saw earlier in my career, but um, I, I didn't think of it like that you know, at a young age. And that was intentionality. Um, I was very clear when I started about what I wanted to do, absolutely clear at a young age at 16. And I went for it. And I'll give an example, even all those years back. So what I found was that um, even though as a foreign student, I wouldn't get a work permit, but I still sent those applications to all those investment banks, right? Even though I knew they would say no, because I knew this is what I wanted to do. But you know what happened? One of them offered me a job because they had an opening, right? But this was in the corporate bank in Nigeria. But I would never have known at that stage that that was a possibility. You understand? So sometimes, you know, um, even when it looks as if um, there's no, you know, try and be, be intentional about what it is you want to do. It's not that you don't listen. You listen to what's happening around you. So one of that is, is being intentional and focusing. The other thing as well is that very often what's happening around you affects you without realizing this. So find our role models and people who will, um, who will support you. Find those mentors. And, you know, I tell you, especially if you're working in a man's world, find out male, male role models. They're so helpful to you. Uh, my mentors um, till today are three of them and were from the industry as well, the, bank, the banking industry. So find out those mentors. They're really very important. And I think that, you know, that's one of the best things you can do from very earlier in your career have those mentors they will help you to bridge some of those um, uh, gaps and difficulties that you find along the way very very important to find also support through your network that you currently have and it doesn't need to be a specific network that uh, you google and you find okay this is the setup that i need to aim towards but rather look within your network and see who can really support you with your current uh, challenges because i'm sure there are many people who would uh, not uh, mind having a half an hour coffee conversation with you about the setup that you're in so super super relevant super relevant right now what are some of the challenges though of building your own consulting practice because you started in investment banking, but now you are going, you, you went towards having your own practice. Um, what are some of the challenges of doing the switch and, uh, and being uh, an entrepreneur? Yes. One thing I think is that, you know, even if you've sort of studied it and researched it and you know the technicalities of it, the practice is very different. And, um, and this is something that is not just um, to do with in, in my, in my area, but, you know, to, to do with, Anybody, you know, who wants to go into become an entrepreneur, you know, you have your expertise in your area, 
in the area that you're in. But very often, you know, we carry that expertise, but when you're an entrepreneur is different, even if you're still in the same field, you're carrying, you, you need a different um, other new exp- um, skills to bring into it, right? Because you're building your client base, you're dealing with people in a different way, and they've known you in a certain context. So that's the first thing. And so in to some extent, you're starting from the beginning, irrespective of how much expertise you've had. And it's, it's just to encourage people to know that that is normal. But then hopefully you move very fast. So you need to almost start from the beginning again, building your name, building the brand for people to understand what, what you're about, convincing them about what it is you're doing, showing that you can do it right. But very often, you know, all the expertise and all these skills that you have built from your past, right, then come into play. So don't worry about it. And, you know, it can be quite, uh, you know, uh, difficult. But all of that will come to play, you know, as time goes on. So, you know, keep at it is really the thing. And, you know, if you need to pivot and swivel a little bit, you know, do it. But um, the, the, the thing is not to give up, really. Mm. Is there any piece of advice for some of our listeners who might be entrepreneurs and they have challenges in this time? Um, they don't know how to get out of a situation. Is there anything that really helped you navigate challenges like a I don't know a quote a piece of advice that you think about when you when you're going through that journey of okay this is not how I expected it to be yes so the first thing is that really it's not going to last forever that's the thing and so what you're looking at is how do I navigate this particular thing and in actual fact you'll find that if you're able to navigate it right that that will stand you in good stead you know for the future when times are better And to say, you know, right now, if it's tough for you, I think that the goals are a little bit different, okay? Yes, for those people who are venture capitalists or people, investors who are looking for certain returns, but I think it's an understanding, right, right now, that surviving alone is success at this time. If you survive, you are already successful. So the measures of success at this point in time are a little bit different than in in the good times. So focus on your survival, right? And hopefully those better times will come and it won't be too long before they come. Thank you so much for that. I think it was really inspiring to remind everybody that whatever comes at you, it will not last forever. So, you know, focus on your goal because it will move towards uh, your aim if uh, if this hard time passes um i do want to continue by you know asking for also some advice for those who want to follow in your career path for example leaders who are interested in your function professionally so being for example a dny leader or working with uh, helping their organization at the leadership level is there any advice for them uh, to consider if they want to navigate in that uh, in that role in that room. First of all, you know, to be honest, right now, a lot of it is all about learning, right? And because of some of these resources we talked about, you know, are there. So that's the first thing is, you know, educate yourself, learn a lot, right? Look for some of the leaders that you see that you are interested in. Um, with LinkedIn, it's fantastic. You know, look at their profiles and see how they have um, emerged. Because um, I doubt if there are many, uh, many um, successful leaders in the DNI space that started out going into DNI. A lot of them, what happened was that they were in whatever function they were in and found that there was this gap and decided that, look, this is what I want to do, okay? 
So that has really been the history of DNI. But even though right now it's become, you know, a career path, so people might go into it, you know, uh, first. But I, I think that it's good to have some expertise in whatever area you have as well to understand, you know, these issues in the workplace. So that is what, you know, I'd say first, have some expertise in whatever area you are in and educate yourself with what's going on in that space. Look at a few leaders and see the, you know, the, the career paths. And if you have the opportunity as well, and uh, what, uh, a few people would you know, give you a one-on-one as well, that is useful to have a one-on-one to, uh, and, and have um, that discussion for people to understand a little bit better and how can I create. And you find that um, what I'm seeing, it may not be for everybody, but unless it's, you know, an outfit, what I'm seeing in DNI space, right, is for... Um, especially to the women leaders, but probably, you know, whoever it is, men or women in that space, is that it's not necessarily a space that they're in forever. You know, people come in from, you know, the, the technical functions or the general management functions, go into that area and then move on elsewhere. So sometimes it's, you know, at point in time as well, not necessarily something that is done um, alone. Because for, for me, in my work, certainly DNI is is one of the areas that I, I work in. I, I work in other areas as well. So that's another thing to look at is, are you looking at it as a full-time thing, point in time, or is it something that you know? Um, you know, how do you want to go into it? Because it's something that you know can you, you you can use also, and and it can emerge into different areas. And we're seeing that a lot, a lot of that as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. I would be curious now to know how did you end up in this space, becoming such a vocal role model for for the mission? How did it happen for you? It, it happened, you know. I'd say it, it just grew by almost on its own on the side because it wasn't the main thing that I was doing, right? What I was doing was in the, in the consulting firm, strategy, strategy and, and advisory, right? And that was what I was doing. In fact, my my the focus, right, was in how do we bring, bring finance to uh, entrepreneurs? And it was about helping banks. The, the, the idea was to help banks to be able to lend to um, smaller businesses, so it wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with you know DNI, but I had um, for many years I had run um, like a seminar for women entrepreneurs because I found that they couldn't find um, access to finance. This was before I, I uh, started my doctoral studies, you know, all these years ago, and it was just on the side. And um, I never felt that it'd be anything that would grow, would grow so big. And I always thought that, you know, I'd leave it. But I, I, I saw that there was just so much value, right, in women. And so we continued that. So it became from entrepreneurs. It moved to women uh, in the corporate world, women as leaders. And then now, in fact, into the policy side, right, as well. And so um, really, it, 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 it grew organically, shall I, shall I say, really. Super. Thanks a lot for, for also sharing that story, because I think some of our listeners were curious to know also how did that happen for you personally? How did you grow into that space? And, you know, you've been so graceful with us and you've given us your time. I'm very thankful for that. I do want to sum up with one last question before we go. I want to ask you, what do you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? I, I think that, um, yes, I, I think it's, it's quite a clear question. Because I went into my career, into all I studied, with always looking at um, performance, right? So, for example, you had to get the good grades. I wanted to go to the university. So I always looked at it from the lens of what it is I was going to do, given the opportunities, right? And, um, you know, I needed to do the MBA, you know, all of that. It was always about what I needed to do. I think what I vastly underestimated was the environment right and when I say the environment is that what as women right we are um, 
the, 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 um, what we are born into. I have a mother who is a lawyer, right? So I never saw barriers for women, you know, ever. I, you know, I never thought about it. Um, and the school I went to was all about, you know, excellent women who are doing excellent things. So I never saw that. But I, you know, but it was later on I realized how, you know, the, um, shall we say, the whole, um, the whole workforce, right? Um, for women who are succeeding, you're actually succeeding very often against all odds. And I think that that is also part of what is driving me because, you know, you really want to have an environment that is suitable for everyone, everybody, men and women, you know, um, together. So I think that, you know, if I was, if I was more conscious, right, of that, it would have allowed me to look at certain things that happened within that context, I think. So that is, I think that I would say that that is what, um, strikes me the most. If I had known that the environment, that it wasn't all about um, your own effort and what you put into it, but this was what you were entering into. Mm, mm, very wise and, and very true because sometimes we don't we don't consider the environment. We consider only what we can control. But of course, mm. a large part of what happens, it's also your reaction to all of those situations that you cannot control. And it's, right. it's really wise to consider there are certain things I can control and certain things I cannot control. And maybe I should give them some sort of representation in my life and don't, uh, don't think that it will be all or nothing. Yes. <laughs> Anino, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great, great, great conversation. I'm very thankful for giving us this, uh, this understanding of diversity and inclusion. And I really want everybody that's listening to follow you. I will share all the links that are important here because I think your mission and your work is very, very important for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you felt inspired to take charge of your next career move. Remember to review this podcast and share your comments. Thank you.